HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. This is Joe Campanelli, and you're listening to In the Drink. This is the show on the Heritage Radio Network that brings you all of the most exciting people in the drink world, from winemakers to brewers. Uh, we even had a wine rep on. And uh, today we have two of uh, the people who are, I think, some of the more influential and more exciting people in the, uh, the Brooklyn restaurant scene. We have Doug Crowell from uh, Buttermilk Channel in Carroll Gardens, one of my favorite restaurants, um, just doing an all-American wine list. It's absolutely exciting. He's the uh, uh, service director and, and co-owner. And then we also have another service director. And, and owner of the Brooklyn Star. We have Bill Reed. Uh, Brooklyn Star is just a, a great restaurant in, uh, in Williamsburg. Um, and things I love about it is uh, they have a very, uh, it's, a, it's a, a concise list, a concise menu, and everything on there is, is delicious and it's there for a reason. Um, anyway, I'm excited to have both of you guys here. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Uh, good morning. So I wanted to talk to you guys both about a topic that is uh, fresh on my mind, especially with the opening of our new restaurant, La Picho, coming up, um, the the domestic, the American wine scene. Uh, both of you had ma- have made... Uh, conscious efforts to to feature only domestic wines um and in the world of wine and with new regions emerging all over the place i think that is uh that's something that is uh, a bit of a a self-imposed challenge um and i want to know why like why have you both made this decision what do you think the american wine scene is all about right now uh sure i'll go first uh you know we we are uh we're an american bistro uh, so you know, like a like a French bistro, which serves, uh, which is in in an urban environment. Like, say you're in a in a French bistro in Paris, you're serving sort of regional country food of France, and uh, and you know, you if you were in a in a Paris bistro, you, you'd be drinking French wines. So it, it made sense to us that we would serve the the regional wines of America alongside the you know regional cuisine of America. 
Yeah, I think the same as far as our menu is concerned. It really complements what we're doing, uh, all-American food uh, forward. And then also, you know, complementing that with an all-American wine list really made sense for us. Originally, we we did not open with that concept. Mm -hmm. Uh, My idea of wine was very open to French, Italian varietals, and um, West Coast wines in general if they were coming from the States. However, being, uh, I guess, in New York for about eight, eight years, you can find that there's such great wine locally in, in New York upstate or whether it be the Finger Lakes. And that kind of sparked my interest in, into American wines more and uh, being able to travel around the country to taste food um, and, comp- and complementing our high fatty foods with high acidic wines. I think America is really showing a great example of how, of how that is, is going. Yeah, and you mentioned the Finger Lakes. I think that's a, a region that that there's kind of a renewed excitement about right now, as especially New York sommeliers and beverage directors and, and just diners in New York who want to eat something that's that's produced locally. Uh, I think that's it's an exciting area. What are some of the other regions, Bill, that you that you think are are exciting in, in the United States? Where who do you think is doing some interesting things? Um, uh, besides from uh, you know Oregon. Um, I really think that wines coming out of Idaho, uh, which is very similar um, weather, uh, terroir to, to that, that you'll find close to that, to that north kind of western region. Um, Texas, when I visited Texas to kind of get inspired for our, our menu and to kind of see where uh, the chef was from and inspired by in Austin, um, I found a really awesome uh, Solero winery down there that is doing great things um, with uh, Italian and Spanish grape varietals. Um, as far as down as Maryland, uh, Virginia, uh, places that, whether it be because of global warming, sad to say, but in a good way, it's kind of helping out uh, all American wines. Um, Arizona, for example, people um, don't realize that that microclimate there and volcanic ash soil is is really helping um, the wine industry grow. I know obviously America has made a big step beyond California, and I feel um, that the faster it's growing so fast. I mean, we're now in the number number two. New York is the number two uh, wine growing region in, in the states, and and that's something to, to be said uh, about how passionate people are and how what great winemakers are coming over from these European. Uh, countries and regions that are really leaving their mark and impression on on our soil wow doug i'm going to pose the same question to you wow, that was um, in states i didn't i didn't even know i mean i, I was yeah. aware that all 50 states make wine but i haven't tasted wine from some of those places yeah, yeah. I, I was i was going to give you a different question but since bill had such interesting such such unique areas i think it's left a lot of the more conventional or, or place we might normally think of uh, open, but it may be in, in the, in the States of California and, and uh, Washington, Oregon, are there, are there certain areas of those States that, that maybe you're more interested in? Uh, yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's a lot of great stuff happening along the, on the Sonoma coast. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of wonderful little microclimates there uh, where that uh, great for a, for a wide variety of, of grape varieties there. Uh, I think the Sierra and the Sierra foothills have got a few great producers there that are like, you know, you it's high altitude and it's a little cooler. Um, there's just a lot of wonderful little microclimates in California where you are, where people are making excellent wine in the, in the Finger Lakes. Uh, I, I do think that's a real exciting region. Uh, you know, again, that has a, a focus. Yeah. You know, we yeah. make great Riesling in the Finger Lakes, which is also what's great about about Oregon. I mean, Oregon Pinot Noir just gets better and better, and, and it's just really wonderful stuff there. 
Yeah, and then that's something that uh, that Bill mentioned about about his food. You know, I'm actually staring at the menu right now. It sounds it all sounds delicious, but yeah, it is kind of a richer cuisine, and you wouldn't think traditionally that that acid would be something that's associated with American wines. But you know, as as a beverage director, that's something that's something that we look for. Um, that can be harder to come by, and that's why we're looking to those to those cooler climates, and why the why great new winemakers are looking to cooler climates. Doug, what's what's one of those one of your favorite pairings um, on your list? One of your favorite wine and food pairings? Wow, well, you've <laughs> got to drink chicken and waffles with yes. uh, with um, I don't know, you know, uh, with um, well, a wine I brought in today. This is something I'm really excited about. It is a wine from one of the funkier states that you were talking about. Is we've got on our list right now a Carbonic Frontenac from Maryland. Wow. Which is from which is from Jenny and Francois are, are bringing that in, uh, which I'm is jealous like, because I that was sold out. <laughs> yes, I was pre-ordered and sold. I out. bought it. I mean, really, yeah, he made like three barrels of it. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I mean, if you if I you blind on it, you would have to assume it was Beaujolais because it's really in that cat, and we serve it chilled. Um, so just like light, awesome. fresh, fruity, great acidity. Uh, that 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 to me is a great pairing. That and the and the chicken and waffles. That and chicken and waffles. Yeah, yeah, that's killer. And you guys have all, you guys also have a pretty incredible beer selection on the list, and so I think that that with any of those beers with the chicken waffles dish that you guys do would be uh, would be pretty awesome. Yeah, beer and beer and cider also. How about you, Bill? What's your favorite pairing right now on your menu? Um, I would have to go with uh, our Blau Frankish uh, from the Finger Lakes. Um, that goes really well with either our fried green tomato dish, which has a really rich uh, duck confit. Uh, it's kind of broken up by a little bit of the smoking, uh, smoked molasses vinaigrette. Uh, the Blau Frankish really cuts through a lot of that fat on that dish. Um, uh, also, I'd probably have to say the, uh, the Riesling that I brought today um, for, for you guys to taste from Idaho uh, really goes well with a cherry tomato salad, something super high in acidity. The Riesling is about 95% uh, Riesling, 5% Muscat, so it does have a, a tad bit more sugar, or a little sweeter on the back end to kind of really help um, equal out those fatty acids that are going to be accompanying our, uh, with our food. That's just really. That's just really exciting. I don't think I've ever had an Idaho wine. That's just super exciting. I can't wait to taste it. You know what? Let's uh, let's let's, start, let's just pour it out. We usually wait till the second part of the segment, but God, I can't. I can't wait. I'm super excited to try that. Um, that Sawtooth Vineyard Riesling mm-hmm. um, in the screw cap. Screw cap. You know, um, trying to leave less of a carbon footprint. Trying to save the the cork trees. A lot of uh, customers uh, that don't know too much about wine. Um, may think right off the bat that this that the cork is going to make or break the wine because they're so used to seeing a cork uh most of our wines i would say uh out of the 21 on our list uh probably about 18 are are screw capped um which also helps with aging you're never never going to have a corked wine you're going to get a lot of the co2 out of the bottle um and and i think this wine really really is is quite nice um a little bit sweeter on the back, um, on the front. You're gonna, you're gonna really smell, really good tropical aromas. You know, you're gonna get some pineapple in there. You're gonna get some banana, maybe depending on how how early it is or how late it is. Um, but this wine really, really goes well with uh, our oysters. It goes well with our romaine salad, which has once again a little bit of fat to it with a bacon buttermilk dressing. Um, things that can really break down the dish and. Not so much stand up alone. Some of these wines on our list uh, are great to drink 
by themselves. But I find a lot of American wines go so much better with food. A lot of uh, French wines, um, I find you can really just have an outstanding Beaujolais or a Gamay grape or something that just you could just drink all night by itself. Um, and it's 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 definitely a taunting, a daunting task, I should say, that um, finding American wines that kind of can fit within a budget of a new restaurant and also get in the consumer's hands and kind of educate them. It's actually a lot easier than, than I thought because a lot of these neighborhoods um, uh, have folks you know, out of town from Idaho, from Arizona, visiting from Maryland. Visiting that is for sure who's buying the Idaho Oregon. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, it's, and, and this, this Idaho Riesling is actually on our buy the glass list. And I would say, surprisingly enough, it was my wild card. Um, mm-hmm. educating staff on why it works um, and and how these mountain uh, ranges in, in, in the Sawtooth area of Snake River Valley, there's so many vineyards there that no one knows about. There's about 50 that are just there that people don't really get to try the wine because people don't know it's there or not interested in trying something that's not California or not New York. Um, cool so, thing about Brooklyn is that people are really interested in trying something new. So, you know, you could put like... You know, funky grape varieties that go on the menu. You know, people see Carignan and they don't know what that is, but they are far more willing to try that than than to go for Merlot. You know, so it's, it's both, it can be both a good and a bad thing because the, the thing that kills me is Chardonnay. It's like they'll find Chardonnays that I'm really in love with, and uh, and they're a tough sell because people uh, people have a bias against Chardonnay. Wow, that's that's. But people are are really interested in trying new things in in Brooklyn, so that that gives us you know yeah, definitely the ability to sell Idaho wine. The Brooklyn scene is is very educated. Uh, New York in general is very educated about wine um, and to kind of break it down into more simpler forms, uh, not just for the guests, but for staff. A lot of your wine knowledge and, and how you sell wine is is how much your staff is involved in it and their training. I found that uh, trying to teach staff um, about little uh, regions or, or Provence or somewhere where they can barely pronounce the name is very hard for mm-hmm. them to to sell the wine and get it in the person's hands, especially if they know what if, if they don't know as much as what they're talking about. But talking about states that my staff's from, I have a lot of people from California that work for us. Uh, I have some folks from Maryland. I have some folks from uh, from from Washington. So it's very easy for them to say, you know what? I know where uh, Cochise is in Arizona and. I lived a few miles from there when I was going to school. And it's very easier to them um, to learn and, and to kind of pass it on the knowledge uh, of these wines as opposed to something so out there. You know, uh, that's such a good point. It's something that I, that I don't think about, but it just dawned on me uh, yesterday at, at our staff training for La Picho. I was describing a wine uh, from El Dorado County in California, and one of the staff members was just like, yeah, you know, you just drive right by that hotel and then it's just past those hills and that's where it is. Describe me to someone else who's also from California and they knew they actually knew that area a lot better than, right, than right. I did. And that certainly wouldn't happen if I was talking about a wine from like Valle d'Osta and, you know, the Swiss Italian Alps. It's not likely. Are you, yeah. are you, do you have a lot of American wines on your new list? So our new list is going to be a third American wines and two thirds awesome. Italian. I wish I could see. I would, I'm looking forward to see what you pick. Yeah, it's gonna. Well, it's just gonna be the wines that you guys have on your list. And, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if there aren't some repeats, I'd be. I, I, I'm no. almost offended. For sure, for sure, there are. Um, so one one thing I want to ask you guys about is on my all Italian lists. I always have a hard time trying to find wines that uh, a wine to pour by the glass that is rosé and sparkling. 
right? Because you want it on your list, you have to have a variety of styles. And if right. you're limiting yourself to having a point of view and you're going to focus on just one type of wine, um, the, the one type of wine that I have a hard time finding is, uh, is a sparkling rosé. Um, that is Italian and that I think is good quality. I mean, there's Italian sparkling rosé that is very expensive, and there's Italian sparkling rosé that's just like that's just inexpensive and 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 not delicious. But to find a delicious by the glass one, so you really by, had to search to find something that was missing from Italian wine. Yes, that's true. There's <laughs> you got everything. Yeah, Italian has everything from yeah light and crisp to the fullest and richest and and everything in between. Um, but limiting yourself to American wines, like, what is there a style that that people ask for that that you're trying to find that you find it challenging absolutely although generally it's something that winemakers great winemakers are working on already uh fortunately uh i i was drinking like a sparkling malvasia the other night and i thought like ah this is like it would be so awesome to have like cremant el dorado you know like, mm-hmm. like a, a a non-champagne grape uh based like rustic uh high acid sparkling wine that would be awesome uh, I have a, just you know filling that uh, inexpensive high acid white uh, niche like something by the glass that can be that can be tough, right? And we were actually uh, Doug came in for dinner on Monday night, uh, so we can kind of go over a couple things and and we actually share the same love for our by the glass pour. He actually has a sparkling uh, rosé which mm-hmm. uh, I, I flirted around with uh, and bringing in uh, from Gruet, uh, which is actually in New Mexico. Uh, a lot of people don't know that New Mexico uh, can can produce fine wines, and uh, this you know amazing family uprooted and uh, moved everything that they uh, they had, whether it be the siblings or, or, or family members, and went down there and kind of made this whole scene. Yeah, I thought uh, we might cheat and serve champagne, but then yeah. finding Gruet and Schramsberg, you know, one of the oldest vineyards in America, right. There's there's good sparkling stuff. Yeah. So he so Doug on his list has the uh, sparkling rosé. Um, um, and I have the the Blanc Noir about the glass pour, um, and it's something that's something that's very. We were laughing about it. It's it's we almost kind of gave ourselves a crutch by doing an all American wine list and kind of went against the grain by doing so. Um, however, it's very inspirational in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, I think one thing that we both said that we're doing is people. Uh, our customers unfortunately can't really know how great the prices are because we both end up, you know, finding things that don't really fit like that that buy the glass price mm-hmm. and being like, I just want to serve that, like, so we'll just make a little less money here or make a right, little less money right. there. Yeah. It's just uh, the that's the price the price crutch is the thing, right? Yeah, yeah we, one of the things I appreciate about both of your lists is that you know your buy the glass wines are just r- ridiculously reasonably priced. They're just the I mean, there's there's barely anything over like. Ten or eleven dollars. Right. Uh, well, we're in a different neighborhood than, than yeah, your place. Yeah, the West. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think that's great. I think that's a great service to people who want to try many different things, who want it, who want to drink. And um, there's a lot of good things. Call you know, a lot I, of slack for that, though. I definitely, I don't know if you have Doug by your by your uh, winemakers or, or reps to come to visit. Mm-hmm. They they want to know why you're selling uh, their wine at a more inexpensive price as opposed to other restaurants who may carry it throughout the rest of the country. That's interesting. And mostly, it's very, people, it, mostly people are just jazzed that we're selling a ton of it. Yeah, well, that's that, They that, don't that want you too. to devalue their They brand. don't want to devalue <laughs> it, but at the same time, it, it's it's my job uh, to get to get it in the, the, the customer's hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, our restaurant is super neighborhoody, uh, very similar to Doug's, where we live and die by the neighborhood. Uh, our food is um, inexpensive. So for me to have a $14 glass of wine where they may just be tempted to have one, 
Well, they can have a few glasses of wine for 8 or $9. We actually, our happy hour is half off uh, all of our wines by the glass. So wow. they, they become 4 or $5 a, a glass. But I think something that... that that we know that not everyone listening might know is that, is that uh, you know you might expect selling wines from this country you would uh, have a price advantage right uh, and that's the sort of ironic thing is that uh, is that because of our three tier distribution system like I can't buy direct from a distributor mm-hmm. except for people in New York so ironically right uh, wines from America can be more expensive and for other reasons too because we've got you know nobody here has got land that's been in the family for five hundred years right. you know right. and, and labor's expensive and your kids going to an expensive college <laughs> or whatever it is but so American wines. Uh, they can be expensive. They can be expensive. There's so many awesome and expensive uh, Italian options. As you've both proven, they can also be absolutely delicious. So we're going to take a quick break um, and we'll be back with Bill Reed and Doug Crowell here on In The Drink. You're listening to Wilderness Books from Cookies on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program has been brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run commercial offset print house that brings together environmentally friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Founded in 1998 by Eugene Lee and his father, Cam Lee, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and green technology. Rolling Press prints using soy and vegetable inks, uses a variety of certified and recycled papers, and they incorporate a chemical-free production process. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. All right, and welcome back. This is Joe Campanelli for In the Drink. I'm here with Doug Crowell of Buttermilk Channel and Carol Gardens, Brooklyn, and Bill Reed of the Brooklyn Star in Williamsburg. And we're talking about American wines. Uh, both of these gentlemen feature wine lists that are entirely American um, and nothing else. Um, and that's really exciting. Before we left for, for break, Doug, uh, Doug said that if uh, we, you know, we're opening up a new restaurant, La Picho, and he said if, if there aren't some of the same American wines on the list, then he'd be insulted. So I, took a, <laughs> I had a chance to take a look at his list uh, over break, and there are certainly quite a few um, just off the top of my head. We're, we're, we'll definitely have the, uh, the uh, there's the Brock Cellars, Dunkin' Goat, um, uh, Bonnie Dune, Copain. Yeah, there's... I think I, I, one of the places that I learned about how great American wine could be um, is, is are my, you know, my meals at, at Buttermilk Channel. I think I was a, a skeptic until finding a list like this, and I think it's really inspirational. So, so thank you for that. I was considering bringing that wine from one of those wines from Palmina there. I thought, how will Joe take to a, a Nebbiolo oh, from America? Those are pretty wonderful. They're pretty wonderful. Yeah, you know, I just tasted the Palmina 2007 Nebbiolo uh, last week. I don't know if you guys have that on your list. I've yeah. got 06. You have 06. I've got 03 sitting there, yeah. Um, and I think, and like, I, uh, like, you know, like the great, like, like the best American wines, those are like, you know, is it 
indistinguishable from a Barolo? Would you confuse it? You know, I taste those actually blind in a lineup of Barolos. And, you know, you'll notice they're like, hey, there's a lot of fruit in this wine. You know, so it's, it's, they're distinctly American, but uh, I think a great representative of the, of the, the terroir and, and the grape variety. Yeah, it, you know, it totally blew my blew my mind because my my line on Nebbiolo when I describe Nebbiolo to people is that it is the the world class grape that is so finicky it only grows in its one region and doesn't want to grow anywhere else. Um, and when I tasted that, I was definitely a believer. So uh, we're gonna actually have it out of Magnums, which I'm super excited about. Awesome. Nice, well. nice Magnums of California Nebbiolo. That's I never thought I'd say that. Go big or go home. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so, uh, speaking of wine, what do we have in the glass right now? It looks like you guys just poured a little something for us. I, I just poured the, the, the aforementioned uh, uh, Carbonic Frontenac from Maryland. So, this is, this is neat. This is, I mean, talking about what I, what I wish we could find more of. It's like a simple, light, gullible, uh, I think it's better a little colder than this, uh, wine like this. So, you know, carbonic maceration is the process that's used a lot in, in, in Beaujolais and other you know, regions to make sort of a rustic, fruity, light wine. Uh, yeah, and they made very little of that, and we bought just about all of it. Yeah, I mean, how many uh, how many dry American wines are at eleven and a half percent alcohol as well? Which I think is, you know, it's it's a really nice thing. It's more food friendly, and you probably feel a little bit better the next day if you if you finish the bottle off. Uh, that, I think that's a really great thing. That's, I don't know much to... about this Frontenac grape. How did it get? I mean, it sounds French, yeah, but it is not. It is a that's a hybrid grape. That's a non. That is not Vitis vinifera. That's a hybrid grape variety. That I assume like withstands the harsh weather in Maryland. Yeah, and it's a, a local Maryland hybrid grape. Yeah, I, I don't know what is what has been hybrided hybridized. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I love about Doug is that he's one of my resources for American wine history. Um, it just definitely is one of the things that he's he's most interested in. Um, Doug, what can you tell us a little about? Maryland in general. Uh, as well as <laughs> no, wait, I can tell you about American wine history, but not about, Mar- not about Maryland. <laughs> not about Maryland. Although, although American wine history, uh, I mean, it didn't, it didn't uh, you know, doesn't necessarily start in California. You know, we've got uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson is planting grapes in, in Virginia. And uh, one of the things interesting about American wine history is, is sort of, uh, I mean, it, looking at these wines it, it's all it's a really recent history you know american right. a new world the new world wines are really new i mean you know we, we can we can look back to like you know the 17th century and monks planting stuff in in uh, california but you know we we got hit by phylloxera like the rest of the world and we got hit by prohibition where we had to uproot all of our vineyards in uh in in the you know early part of the 20th century so and then you know in the into the 60s we're still making like mostly fortified wines and sweet wines and uh and growing in california a lot of these big productive varieties like columbard and carignan that are not right. making awesome wines usually uh so the the history of wine in America is really recent, and a lot of these producers that we're in love with, like, have been making wines for a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. However, I always like to say, you know, when you look at the rest of the world, there's a sort of image that in these old world wine regions they've been making wine in the same way for hundreds and hundreds of years, and that's not really true either. Actually, the whole world of wine is changing, you know, is is all changing together. Uh, just you know, different production techniques, like. You know, are we using new wood barrels where we used to do old, you know, we used to reuse our barrels and, and also whether we like it or not because of global warming, because mm-hmm. the whole world is getting warmer. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. de- and definitely it's, it's a it's a race to see who can be as the greenest winery or, 
you know, sustainable winery and, and, and growing techniques are definitely um, having certain, you know, labels on your wine saying that you are, whether it be lead uh, green or, or whatever it may be certified. Uh, I think that a lot of wineries are in America are taking it to the next st- step because a lot of our food we want to see organic and we want to see that it's that it's fresh and it's and it's farm the table food in a lot of restaurants in New York but it should all should be farm the table wine and that's the think that's another passionate um, example of why we do American wines because it doesn't take that long for it to get from the the vine to our glass right. which is something that's very special right I mean especially if you're if you're on the east coast or, or close by though um, uh, Though from what I understand, from if you're bringing wine from California, that's a pretty similar carbon footprint to right. to European wine. Right. That yeah, that's like, that's there. not really your advantage there. No. Right. <laughs> uh, well, let's try uh, let's try one more. We have one or two more wines coming up. What do we have here? Yeah, we have uh, this this winery actually holds a special holds a special place in my uh, my heart uh, because uh, me and my wife uh, took a trip out to Oregon to do some wine research and to taste some amazing amazing food and uh, we stumbled upon this vineyard here uh, Van Duzer uh, it's right off of the Van Duzer corridor so it's going to see uh, a very um, uh, c- consistent cool climate um, this is this happens to be their from their Dijon blocks actually if you know Dijon uh, blocks um, number 113 and 117 uh, if you get very specific um, they um, a very small operation. This is only 125 uh, cases, which is which is definitely um, something that is 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 awesome in in its own right. Um, this vintage is is definitely uh, one of the better ones for that year. Uh, it was super cool, um, and uh, and I think that this wine really pairs well with all of our food from from. The lighter dishes to the heavier dishes. Uh, this is actually our, our most expensive bottle of wine. Bill, I was noticing that. Thank you for sharing that yeah. with us. It's really generous. Yeah, of thank you. you. Thank you. So uh, people for in having Brooklyn us. really dig uh, Oregon Pinot Noir. Yeah, that is a uh, that is and and rightfully so because it's uh, there's just really really wonderful stuff out there. Well, yeah. this is. I mean, it's almost twice as expensive as any other wine on your list. Do you find that people are? are open to, to spending, it's $85 on your list, right? right? Um, do you find that people are open to spending that? Do you feel like, are people asking for more expensive uh, options well, as well? Well, what, what happened was we had a, uh, we had a big budget uh, in the beginning for, for, for wine. Um, and then uh, noticing that 10 11 and $12 glasses were, were not what people were looking for because our food was so accommodating to, price, to the price range. Um, our our food is as everyone dig in and share. Uh, it's very uh, they're composed dishes, but they're meant to be shared by at least two people. All of our all of our items. There's not one dish on there that uh, one person can easily manage to eat. So uh, the prices went down to accommodate groups. You know, drinking a bottle of wine or two bottles of wine. Um, I actually had the Van Duzer State Pinot Noir, which is a blend of all their Pinot Noir grapes, uh, and that was only fifty dollars a bottle. I had such a strong following for that wine and. People from Van Duzer contacted me and said, you know, you're doing an amazing job with this wine. I just want you to try this. And uh, this was after I tasted it. It's a little bit uh, a little bit more on the earthier side, but it still remains a, a lighter style Pinot Noir. Um, and 
I found that once I put it on the list, and it should be higher than 85 mm -hmm. for sure for what we pay for it. But once again, getting it in the consumer's hand is, is more important. Um, this wine at $85 is a steal uh, for, for a couple friends to have a few glasses. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's an example of uh, a great Pinot Noir from Oregon for yeah, with, sure. With people are, are also willing to spend a little more money, which because you have to, is, is, a, is the great classic California Cabernet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Which is, uh, you know, something I'd also like to give a shout out to. It's not just like, you know, the, the new funky wine producers that are doing one. There, there's your most established style of wine uh, and, and grape variety in California. And uh, and that's something that we have to charge a little more for, but it's yeah. really wonderful. And I see you have some of the library release of Kathy Corazon. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, we just opened up one of those this this uh, this weekend. That's just beautiful. And and, and Maya Camus and Frog Sleep mm -hmm. and Ridge and, and, you know, just the real classic American Cabernets. And people are really receptive to those and, and are willing to pay a little more for them. And I've been really happy to see that because those are beautiful. And sometimes you go out, you know, you have you have your, your guests who are looking for, you know, uh, from from our, our glass pours, which are 9 to $40 a bottle, and then we have, uh, our, no, our bottle range is only 5 to $10 more than our, our glass pour range. So it's, so it's very, you know, if somebody wants to try something different, it's not going to be like pulling teeth for them to, you know what, it's a little tight this 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 month or it's the first of the month and people are are really willing to spend more if it if it means more to them and, and, and they can kind of re we can represent that with the food as well so right can you get, you know one of the things i appreciate about both of your lists is that it is just well edited that everything is on the list uh it seems to me at least for for a reason there's no there's no kind of throwaway wine um and i find that for me as a as wine buyer that's that's a challenge to to make sure that everything has a purpose and that there's a reason and there's so many wines that that all of us you know we are are so excited about and just focusing it and narrowing it down to a list that uh that is uh, is concise and is uh, easy for for the customers. Uh, so I, I appreciate that about about both of your lists. Um, I tried to make the font smaller and the margins <laughs> narrower, but I can't do it. So I can't have any more wines. <laughs> it's by design, uh, based on the size of your menu. Is what you're saying? No, no, I, it makes sense for us. It's one of the things I really appreciate. Uh, here's another. Here's another wine that uh, Doug might have brought. This one, the yeah. D. Uh, this is a, a wine that. We're going to have on our list definitely their Chenin Blanc, but this is... I love the Chenin Blanc. I so know. Good. I don't have that right now. I, I wish I could get that. Um, and what is this right here? A, Liu Di, so th this is a, um, a collaboration between uh, Justin Willett of Tyler Wines and uh, Eric Railsback, who's a, a sommelier, a great sommelier. Oops, sorry. Sorry, Bill. In, uh, in California. And uh, these guys are making all Loire Valley grape variety wines, so that wonderful Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc and this um, Cabernet Franc, and just really... Uh, picking earlier than anyone else out there and making uh, uh, you know high high acid low alcohol really drinkable delicious wines that I mean that that to me is like that is a quintessential Cabernet Franc right there yeah I mean Cabernet Franc is a grape that uh, that I absolutely love only in the Loire Valley usually because it's you have such insane amounts of value you have such terroir driven wines that cost very 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 little that um, I find that usually when people bring it out of the Loire, they try to treat it more like Cabernet Sauvignon and make it ripe and, right. and oaked up. Uh, but one of the things I love about this is that it, it really is true to, to what I really like about Cabernet Sauvignon or Cabernet Franc. That is, it's, it's just like easygoing. It's light. It's refreshing. It's terroir specific, has a little spiciness to it. Um, 
it's it's just a really fun wine. And again, a new a new. I mean, this this is their. How many vintages do they have? This is like, not not many. Yeah. So it's only gonna get better, is what you're saying. Yeah, no, I just think it's just amazing that this is a you know that that this is a new wine that you know. I mean, how many how many Italian wineries do you have on your list that are that have been making wine for only a few years? Probably not right. very many. Not very many at or all. Or if they are, like they're they're like, oh, I know. There's like an awesome like zillion year old vineyard <laughs> over here. I'll just like buy their grapes. Okay, guys, we're gonna we're gonna finish up with a little quick rapid fire question. Um, I'm gonna ask you which American wine would you drink in the following scenarios? Okay, so we'll start off just really easy. You're going to the beach. You're having a little picnic. What American wine? Let's start with you, Bill. Uh, white or red? Does it matter? Call. Your call. Um, if I'm going to the beach, I'm probably it's gonna be hot, so yeah. I'm gonna go with a rosé. With a rosé, do you yeah. have a particular American rosé that you? That you of go? course, yeah. uh, uh, the the Rath rosé um, from, uh, from Monterey. Uh, the Pinot Noir uh, grape is is just really stunning, and and it can go. It's it's crisp. It's 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 a little bit of acidic, and the Pinot Noir really comes through. I think if I'm going to the beach with my lady, that's that that's what I'm going to bring. Rose. I'm going to bring. All that. right, Doug. Uh, easy one for you to uh, picnic with some friends. American wine. Well, we're on the beach, right? Like you picnic on the beach. I'm picnicking <laughs> on the beach. So I'm imagining we get this from Donkey and Goat, this Marsan Grenache Blanc blend that they've got, uh, which is just like got tremendous minerality uh, and just really high acid and fun. And I'm imagining taking the whole keg and putting it in the ocean <laughs> and running a line up to my to my blanket. That'd okay. be nice. All right, we're gonna we're gonna step it up a little bit. Uh, how about a trip to the Grand Canyon? The Grand Canyon. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna bring. Uh, a cab franc from from New York City. I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring a little bit of earthiness there. I'm gonna bring a, a little cooler, a little funk, um, and uh, I think that New York is uh, is really represented well with with that grape varietal for sure. All right, Doug Grand let's Canyon. Take, let's take like one of these Sierra Foothills wines and like see you know like the like um, the Cuvée Mysterious we've got here from Closer On. Let's like take one of those there and see what that funky climate does to a a wine that's made with almost no sulfur. <laughs> all right guys that was awesome um so we're gonna have to wrap up now but thank you both so much yeah, thank you for having us pioneers of of american wine in, in brooklyn we have doug crowell of buttermilk channel out in uh in carroll gardens thanks for having me joe it's been fun and bill reed at the brooklyn star uh in williamsburg go drink go to their restaurants drink american wines on their list and listen to in the drink on heritage radio we'll see we'll see you next week thanks a lot Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Heritage Radio Network is now on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other devices with Stitcher. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.